0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. This is a wonderful opportunity to have conversations that are deep and meaningful and really allow us to connect with a greater truth about who we are. That's why I love doing these conversations, and I love this opportunity to present to you some amazing people who are inspiring, uplifting, and are able to allow us to remember more and more of who we are, the healing presence that we are, to create the life that we want, and to connect to the possibilities that exist for all of us, the infinite possibilities. So thank you for joining me for this wonderful conversation. If you are listening for the first time, welcome. I hope you'll be coming back every week. And if you'd like to make sure you're able to come back every week, then you have a couple of choices. You can opt into my website, which is drsherylselman.com, and I will then email the archives of the shows to you. Or you can go to the Facebook page that has all of my shows, which is What Women Must Know. So What Women Must Know is also the name of the other program I do on Progressive Radio Network every Thursday at 4 p.m. And you can get the archives to that show as well just by opting in to Dr. Cheryl Selman. That's drcherylselman.com or go to uh, my Facebook page and like me there, What Women Must Know. And let's just jump into things today because we have such I think an important conversation is very profound and important. We're going to be exploring how to journey with death and dying with my guest, Angelo Druda. So I just want to introduce a little bit about Angelo to you before we jump into this really important conversation. Angelo Druda practices oriental medicine in Cobb, California. He is the founder of traditional botanical medicine, the author of the Tao of Rejuvenation, and a contributor to Easy Death by Adi Da Samraj. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross called Easy Death a masterpiece of death and dying. Angelo has offered seminars and webinars all over the world on how to prepare for death and how to serve the dying. He has served and instructed hundreds of people in their own death process. So we have this really uh, important conversation ahead of us today, and it's a conversation that is so needed and a conversation that we so rarely have in our life and that's why i'm really looking forward to having angelo on the show today so first of all let me say hello and welcome to you angelo
1: hello cheryl it's good to be with you again here
0: it's great to have you and for those who may have missed our other interviews angelo has been a favorite guest of mine on what women must know and that capacity we're talking about all things related to traditional chinese medicine and health and and we'll have to get you back on angela because i have a few other areas i'd like you to share (laughs) your wisdom with but but you 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 also have this other um it's like this other service that i I would call it it's your service right it's your service to humanity and that is the work that you are doing with uh guiding people and understanding death and and helping people who are in the dying process. This is such profound work, Angela. You know, I've never really gone into a lot of depth with you in the past about this work and how you arrived here and and, um, the deeper purpose for it all and why we need this information. But I just wanna say before we jump in, I really believe that what is missing in our culture is this conversation about the process of death, process of dying, Uh, We're so terrified that right now we look around in our world and people will do anything to avoid (laughs) the prospects of of death and dying and will jump in and, you know, take vaccinations and uh, do risky things (laughs) because underneath it, there's fear, right? There's fear of dying. And um, ancient cultures or cultures that exist today, Hinduism and uh, Buddhism and um, you know, many other traditions have a more profound understanding of this process which we call death. And it's uh, important to have a greater understanding because there's more going on here. It's not the end. And uh, I I'll just i say one more thing and then I'm going to have you jump in, Angela. But when my mother was in her 90s and she, her health was failing, uh, I, I tried in many ways to broach the subject that, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, there's really more. There's an, it, in the Jewish tradition, it's lights out, which is a very terrifying thing, right? Lights out. You die and you don't exist anymore. So it's pretty mm-hmm. terrifying. And um, that's where she was. And she wanted to have nothing to do with any of those conversations, Did, like avoided it like the plague did not want me to talk about it did not want me to introduce any any information anything you know and um you know the only thing that for me was um saving grace around this journey for her was an experience I had on the night she died and she came to me in an experience and it was really celebratory and she said oh my god I'm going to connect with dad and it was the celebration kind of like they do in New Orleans, know, <laughs> the celebratory thing. And hmm. that was the experience I had of my mother and my mother coming to me. And the night she died, I was, I was overseas. I wasn't able to be there, but I was there and she was there with me. So anyway, that's my prologue to all of this. And I, I just, I want you to share this whole experience that you are a guide of. You have such an honored place in your community of serving the dying. My first question to you, Angelo, is how did you, how did you arrive here? How did you, how did this become one of your true forms of service in this lifetime? Well, I was born
1: and that's how it began. (laughs) <laughs> and with birth comes death and uh, even as a young boy uh, the minute I became aware of death I was not particularly happy about it uh, I didn't like the idea at all, it seemed like some kind of a cruel joke and that death disturbance it pretty much directed my life in a very, very specific way, really. And over the course of my whole life, I wanted to realize something that was greater than death. Uh, I I just couldn't accept the fact that we were just simply these, you know, temporary, uh, modest, fragile human forms. Uh, I knew and could intuit that we were so much more than that. So in many ways, my life has been dedicated to the realization of what is greater than death and at some point in my life I became a spiritual practitioner, I found myself a spiritual master who could guide me and a a big part of my service in life, as you well know, uh, it's been a big part of your service in life too, has been health counseling and health and healing. Well. Serving people in the death process is also a a big part of health and healing. If you look at the planet Earth today, we have billions and billions of mortal beings. Everybody's running around the planet Earth looking for something to do while we wait to die. And you see the chaos and madness that creates, as you were saying, this fear of death, this mortal fear, drives men, drives women, drives beings mad, really, in this extreme cases. Uh, That is the circumstance we are in. So... From my point of view, what was the best thing to do while I waited to die would be, well, let's <laughs> study. Let's find out about this death process. Uh, let's study the death process. And it's not dissimilar from when I had my first child. I mean, I knew nothing about the birth process at that time. I was just barely beyond the birth process myself. I was a young man, so what did, what did we do? Well, my wife and I, we studied the birth process. We took Lama's classes. You practice, you study, and you learn how to participate in the birth process. Well, death is a similar process. We can use our time in this life to study, to prepare for and understand the death process. In fact, the reason why people are so afraid of the death process, uh, the reason why there's so much anticipated fear when we consider death is because people, as you were saying, do not study the process. They don't systematically educate themselves as to what the death process actually is And the best way to study the death process is to serve others who are dying. You can actually serve and participate to some degree in the death process with others. And when you serve people in the death process, and when you have an opportunity to observe the process that they are going through, then you begin to learn and understand a great deal about that process, and it comes out of the closet, so to speak. You know, it's not the boogeyman in the closet anymore. But as you say, the fundamental human response, uh, the fundamental strategy that we employ in order to deal with this death fear is we just try to forget about it. And, uh, you know, that's the full sophistication of the strategy, just forget about it presume presume when it happens, it'll be way off in the future, and so we don't take our opportunity to study the process. So all of that really is what uh, became a big part of my life in serving people. I had an opportunity to study, observe the death process, participate with people in that process to some degree, uh, and... uh, I found it to be an absolute grace. I mean, I know there are many people who have taken on this kind of service in their life. And if you speak to all of them, just every single one talks about what a grace it is to serve people when they are dying. Uh, Not only an opportunity to serve someone you love and help them and instruct them, but it also is such a grace for the servant because you discover and participate in something that is great and uh, you can discover that death is not a dreadful event. You can discover that death is, as Adi Dasan Raj, the author of Easy Death, says, a necessary, a purposeful, and, and ultimately benign psychophysical process. So I entered into it really just for selfish reasons, because I wanted to be free of my own death disturbance and fear. That that's really how you get to be someone who gets involved in this kind
0: of service. Well wow. so what what is your understanding of uh the the death process what you know uh, i mean there's so much to be so many questions i have to ask you so what what's your you know from your work and your study and working with your guru uh who obviously was teaching a lot about death and dying and, you know the fact that humanity for you know thousands and millions of however many years you think humans have been here we've 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 all been dying. <laughs> You know, dying is part of life, and, and yet um, it's a mystery for so many of us, and we still fear it, and we, we know so little about it. So what is, your, from your teachings, from what you have been learning in this work, what is your understanding of, first of all, what is the death? What is death? What happens? Why? Why do we die? What 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 goes on? And then, um, then we can explore what an easy death means and, and how to support those in our life who are in the dying process. Those are big questions. <laughs> those are big <laughs> questions. Let's let's see what
1: comes up here. We live in a fundamentally materialistic world. We live in a fundamentally scientific materialistic world. As you were saying, early cultures, indigenous cultures were not fundamentally materialistic cultures. They understood that it was a lot more to a human life than just those physical components that that are visible to the eye. But this scientific materialistic point of view pretty much taken over the globe. There are a few pockets of indigenous cultures here and there. But for the most part, it's a scientific materialistic point of view that prevails. And what is that scientific materialistic point of view? Well, I am this physical body. The earth is a rock. When the physical body dies... It goes back into the earth, and when you're dead, you're dead. Lights out, as you were saying. When you're dead, you're dead. That's the fundamentals of the scientific materialistic point of view. Life is specific to this narrow spectrum of light vibration, which is the physical dimension of existence. And because... We live in a fundamentally scientific, materialistic point of view. We actually think that clinical death is the end. In other words, clinical death, the cessation of the heartbeat and respiration, oh, the person is now dead. They're now gone. They don't exist anymore. And this is absolutely false. These are false teachings, you know, which are blared out at people through the media of the time constantly. We do not live in a materialistic circumstance. You know, some of the great minds of of our time are in the great educational institutions on earth, up in those great universities, trying to figure out how does consciousness arise in the brain? How does this gelatinous mass of cells become conscious? And, again, these are false teachings. Consciousness does not arise in the brain. The brain arises in consciousness. Everything arises in consciousness. Conscious light is the fundamental substance of the universe. Conscious light is the fundamental substance of existence. And conscious light is deathless, and so at clinical death, I always say to people, look, the death process starts a lot long before clinical death, and the death process proceeds beyond clinical death. Uh, it's not a materialistic circumstance. So the death process, what is it? Well, as Adi Amraj said, death is a necessary, purposeful, An ultimately benign psychophysical process. At some point, the physical body is used up. The physics of this gross realm are very severe. Life is very short here. Everything is trying to eat everything else, (laughs) from the bacteria to the predator animals. It's the physics of the physical existence are very severe. So life is very quick here. So at some point, the physical body is no longer useful. It's no longer functional. And there is a natural process in which the physical body is shed. And that process takes place in the context of conscious light or the spirit, whatever terminology human beings have come up with over the generations to describe this profundity. So the physical part of the existence passes away, and beyond death, then there is a continuation of existence in another form or other. So at some point in every human life, the physical body is shed, Like I say, there's severe physics here. And even if you practice good health, you could step out into the road and be hit by one of these machines that we're always building. So it's a common process. Somebody had figured out that to date, there's already been 108 billion human beings who have been born, lived their lives, and already died. We're next in line. So it is a natural process of the shedding of the physical components of the being. And yes, subtler components of the being continue to exist and transform as they do while we live. Now that was a big question. And I know that was a big answer. Maybe I'll stop and turn it over to you now.
0: Well, um, just to, you know, just to, have this big conversation. So, right. so, uh, of, you know, uh, uh, for most of us, I mean, our physical life has beginning and an end. This physical life, and we see the process going on in our lives, right? We're changing. We move on. We age. Yes, the body is changing. Um, but this is because because each lifetime, from that spiritual perspective is an opportunity to gather wisdom, to to heal, to expand, to evolve, to, you know, just gain a variety of, of um, experiences for the purpose of what? <laughs> Angela, I'm going to kind of put that out to you. For the purpose of what?
1: You're asking what is the ultimate purpose of life?
0: Yes. <laughs> well you know if we understand that each lifetime is an op is, is an experience that our soul has chosen to uh experience uh and evolve and, and then we have that we have a, a use by date, so to speak, and uh then we, then we go where so then we we're, we're, we're doing this work in this lifetime this work to understand ourselves, this work to help with others. And when our use by date is over, when we're at the end of this cycle, which could be when we're very old or it could be when we're very young, we take this experience and where do what where do we go with it what what is you know what is the purpose of the experiences we've had and the amount of time we have here from from the teachings you know from your from your teacher's understanding.
1: Well, you could I – mean,
0: if you ask the Buddhists,
1: they tell you that a human life is an absolute treasure because it's a good, stable situation in which you can realize the truth, in which you can wake up uh, and realize the truth of our existence. So in Buddhism, the purpose of life is to realize the truth of our existence. I would say similarly, the purpose of a human life is to realize the truth of our existence, the fundamental matrix of existence, which is all good. You know, you look at uh, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which was this amazing document that comes out of the early Buddhist tradition, which is advanced adepts and practitioners of the Buddhist tradition. It's a handbook of instruction to be given to a person when they die. And from their point of view, it's it's quite simple. Early on after the physical body is shed, every person who dies gets a vision of the perfect transcendental conscious condition of existence, full of love, full of happiness, and they have that wonderful description they call in the uh, one of the Tibetan traditions, the all good, is how they describe this, the source of our existence, this bright, radiant, conscious reality. Uh, so if you ask a Buddhist practitioner or if you ask a Hindu practitioner, if you ask uh, spiritual practitioners, they will tell you the purpose of life is to realize that one that unity that conscious light that indestructible and deathless happiness now it 's not like everybody on planet earth is are going is going for such goals, so what happens after death really has a lot to do with what goes on in life. We have a uh interesting bit of instruction that comes out of easy death which says during life we make mind after death mind makes you so once you shed the physical then mind the full spectrum of mind becomes our condition and our environment and you can go back to these ancient traditions and they can say well you can use your life and not gain anything at all you could just waste your life not gain anything not gain any wisdom not gain any understanding Uh, so or you can use your life for greater things which is really why we serve which is the service is a great purifying practice to serve so what happens after any particular person dies really has a lot to do with how they've lived their life has a lot to do what kind of mind has been created in their life and, uh, and the tendencies and the desires and the impulses that are creating this particular spectrum of existence, well, they will continue to generate and create reality beyond the physical death. So it really varies from person to person just as what's going to happen to you In your day today and what's going to happen to me in my day today varies according to both of our individual tendencies and patterns. Uh, It's similar after death. And so, yes, some traditions just say, well, this kind of wheel of birth and rebirth just keeps going on until a person realizes that it's all a great dream. (laughs) You know, it's like waking from a dream in the morning. Ah, and we do exist, and our true nature is this bright, conscious light that is our true nature, and it can be realized, and it is the condition of absolute happiness and peace. And so, yeah, I know that was a lot too. We're asked, we're, we're having a big conversation here. <laughs>
0: You know, as you're talking, as you're talking, I, I I have a memory that came to me when I was in Hawaii, and I I would go to Hawaii and bring it with people. I would work um, with a Hawaiian
1: at a Hawaiian
0: healing center, and we had you know, a Hawaiian teacher there, and she told a story of her grandmother, and um, her grandmother, um, who I guess had you know was in her 80s and 90s um told the family that um that her amakua was coming so the amakua for the hawaiian tradition is like her guardian angel and she told her family that the that the, her amakua is coming and um they had a big party for her it was like a send-off party <laughs> they had this yes, big party yes. for her she was dressed okay. in her best manner and the family was gathering, and they just had a wonderful celebration. And she went to sleep, and her amakua came, and she left. And what's, what's interesting is that um, Angeline, the teacher of mine, who um, I guess, you know, she was probably in her 80s, um, had a similar experience. She went to the beach with her daughter and uh, enjoyed a beautiful time at the beach went home, said, you know, I'm uh, I'm, I'm feeling tired, uh will lay down, and she met her Amaku and off they went. You know, that's a beautiful story to me. That's so beautiful, right, to know that you, I don't know, I just, I'm inspired by that, by that, by those experiences of consciously releasing the body and uh, connecting with your spirit and taking off whatever. Well, uh,
1: the other great reason why it is wonderful to serve people in the death process is because of what you are describing. Uh, The communion in the death process is so profound. So serving people in the death processes are, are, are some of the best meditations you will have while you are alive. And uh, the spirits and the spirit names vary from tradition to tradition. You read the Tibetan Book of the Dead and there are all these traditional Tibetan deities. They are descriptions of energy states. They're descriptions of realizations, visions. Uh, So, yes, I mean, it's beautiful. Death does not have to be entered into as an execution. It is not an execution. It is very profound. It is a shedding of everything we have identified ourselves to be for many years and that is a profundity uh, you know to let all that go Uh, and yet it's not an execution it's not an annihilation and the death process in truth and this is taboo to even say there can be great pleasure In the death process, there is intense bliss in the death process if we allow that process to unfold naturally. In other words, if we don't fight it, if we don't resist it, uh, it can be a happy and a profound and an even blissful transition. Now, we have no idea where our loved one is going next, and they probably don't either until it happens. But the one who lived in the form of our loved one, the, loved, the one who was living in our form, is the same one. It is that same spirit. And that one is deathless. And that's what you love, and that's what I love about the ancient traditions and such as the Hawaiian tradition you're describing or the Buddhist traditions is they recognize, you know, it's a continuum. This physical life here is just a moment. Uh, there is something that came before it and there is something that is coming after it. And, uh, we are not extinguished in the death process. Certainly our physical forms are gone. They will never appear in exactly the same way again. But being is deathless. And, uh, so yes, uh, we in our community, we, we do not approach death Uh, as an execution or, or a terrible happening. We, we serve people for days leading up to the death process and for days after the death process. And similarly, the main service we perform is this invocation around the dying person of, of this, uh, happiness of this bliss. And, uh, One of the things I love about this service, as I just said, is that it can be some of the most blissful and wonderful times. I mean, I have to say, in in my relationship to my father, I mean, the best times we had were the times leading up to his death when, when I stayed with him and served him. You know, in many ways, so many of the barriers that get built up between people, well, death is the time to let everything go because that's what's happening. So, no, the traditional form of death in the West, because we're so materialistic, oh, the body is dead, that's it, they're gone. Uh, Yeah, you can see why it becomes a grim affair.
0: Uh, And I would imagine the more people have beliefs that death is annihilation and it's, you know, the end and letting, you know, your life go the more you resist, the more difficult the death process is. I think it only follows that that would be so.
1: Well, yeah, look at look at a woman giving, giving birth. I mean, you know, she, a woman is taught to really relax and harmonize and allow the process to unfold. The more you resist that process, uh, then the more problem we can create for ourselves both in the birth process And in the death process, if we consider the fundamental instruction, all the instruction that has been given to people that are dying, if we synthesize it down to the root instruction, the root instruction is let go. Let go and allow the process to unfold. Now, as Westerners, we make a lot about free will, so-called free will, you know? Westerners, we have free will. Well, on the day we die, you find out something about the limitations of free will. We may have been planning to go shopping. We may have had tickets to a concert. But death is what's happening. So you realize we're being lived by a great process. So... What is the fundamental instruction? Relax. Let go. Have faith in the process. Allow the process to unfold. And one of the specifics of instruction that we give to people in our community is let go as if you're going to sleep every night. We do it every night. We let go of the body. We let go of this physical identity. And we disappear into deep sleep. And in deep sleep, there are no objects arising. It's just conscious bliss. Uh, we know, you, you wake up in the morning, it's like, wow, I feel really good. You know, you've got conscious bliss, nothing arising. We love it. We do it every night. So why fear death then? We let go of everything every night. There is no real animation of our personal identity. There's no appearance of the world. There isn't the daily news. We're in deep sleep. There's just this meditative, regenerative bliss. And that's really what the death process is. The the ultimate purpose of the death process is regeneration. We are shedding that which is used up, diseased or broken. We let go of it, and there we are regenerated by subtler aspects of light consciousness, and then some form of individuated existence continues. There may be a return to the physical environment. There may be some kind of adventure carried out in subtler aspects of existence, and so finally, ultimately. Everything is washed and disappeared, perhaps as they say, in the Hindu teachings, after thousands of lifetimes, <laughs> you know all those karmas are finally used up, and the person just becomes light itself. Uh, so yes, a great transition death
0: i I find a lot of inspiration and comfort from people's stories for people who have died and have come back. So the near death experience journey. Uh, I find that yeah. so so profound and and um not only educational in a sense, but comforting, right? Because the stories of people who have, you know, supposedly died or clinically died, and I think of one of the wonderful interviews I've had, I've interviewed him twice, Evan Alexander, Doctor Evan Alexander who um, had died was a hardcore neurosurgeon. Um, yes. Very materialistic, yes. right? And he, Eben, yes. died, and he, he had his brain was eaten away with a bacteria, bacterial infection. He was unconscious for six days. They were going to pull the plug, and in those six timeless days for him, he was off having an amazing experience, a profound experience. He came back to life uh, totally changed and reborn, and um, everything changed for him, including, I mean, his brain recovered. He got total function back of his of his brain functions, and, um, and you know, he's written no books, longer them, which I highly recommend. Yes, No Longer Materialist, and um, yes, he knew there was life after death, and, um, you know, those are stories that I think are guiding lights for us in our culture because of the fact that they're direct experiences of people who've been to the other side and have shared what it was like and came back, and came back, changed and transformed. Yes.
1: That's part of the systematic education that we have been talking about. And Raymond Moody, of course, was one of the pioneers in publishing these Mm -hmm. compilations of of so-called near-death experiences. And they are comforting and they are educational and they are particularly effective at the level of this materialistic philosophy because the first thing you see in these near-death testimonies is, well, the heartbeat and respiration has ceased, but consciousness is still there. And for a time, people are still observing the physical environment. And as Dr. Evan learned. And when I think about him and his story, I think about something Adidas Raj said years ago where he said, you can indulge the materialistic philosophy right up till the day you die. But on the day you die, everybody becomes a mystic. Because the physical reality, the physical mechanism is shed and yet you're still, they're still you're alive in a subtler situation. And this is what happened to to Dr. Evan, and his story now has become very well known. And there are a lot of great lessons in there. One of them, for people who are serving the dying, is never really presume you ultimately know what's happening with the dying person because we tend to overlay our own suffering over against the dying person. So somebody could have been looking at Dr. Evan and thinking he was in a terrible situation. But as you described, he's he's in these blissful, subtle realms. Uh, So yes, we do not live in a materialistic circumstance. We just happen to be modern Westerners and that is the propaganda of the time. You know, buy, purchase, own, that's the way to happiness, you know? Well, (laughs) there are a lot of people making big money with that message. (laughs) And so uh, that's just the message of the time, but it's a false message. And uh, in the old days, you used to sit in front of the campfire and the elders would pass on a few myths to you and you had to deal with that. Nowadays, I mean, we have all these false teachings just blasting at us constantly, you know, radio, TV, the Internet. No generation of human beings have been subjected to more false teachings than we have. And this scientific materialistic teaching is the great false teaching of the time. Uh, But it's not true. And on the day we die, mark
0: my words, we all find that out. So I know you've assisted so many people in this process. Can you share an experience or two of someone who, um, you know, had a profound transition?
1: Well, I just served a long time friend of mine. He was one of the founding members of our community. He started our publication uh, business. He was a, an Italian man from, some, from New York. Uh, so he had that kind of simpatico, similar kinds of roots. And just the last month, and I said it to him, it was one of the last things I said to him while he was still in the waking state. I, I said to him, your bedroom has become the most profound and radiant temple I've ever been in. And I've been in some great temples around the world, you know, where spiritual force is strong. Because he was just letting go, practicing his meditation uh, right through that process. And just at some point, it was done. And he closed his eyes and the heartbeat stopped and the breathing stopped and uh, he was gone. And then we continue to serve for three days and we serve people by reading instruction into their ear because they will remain connected to the physical environment uh, for hours and even days beyond physical death, the process of migration and releasing of the physical environment does not happen instantly at clinical death. And we could feel just the bliss filling the room, the brightening. Uh, and then after three days, we could just feel that he was gone. There, were, there was nobody in the room anymore. And there's so many deaths just like this, uh, of just people coming to that point uh, perhaps something just a little bit more on an interesting side, because it, it's very similar to what you were describing early about your mother. was in, in serving my own mother's death, I had actually, this was in New York, I had to go to Washington, D.C. to do some work. I, I returned to her home um, just moments after she had died in the hospital. I was not with her in the hospital. I was in her home. And everybody had left her home and gone to the hospital. And then just sitting in her chair and meditating, having received the news that she had died, uh, her subtler aspects of her being just filled up the room. As you were describing with your mother, she just filled up the room. And when my mother was on her deathbed, she kept saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. Her home had been her life, really, uh, for the years preceding her death. So at the moment of clinical death, she did go home. And she just filled up the room and it made my hair stand on end because it was my mother, but without a physical body. And the message in the instruction is: this story is The reason why we do a three-day vigil, the reason why we serve people for three days beyond clinical death is that, yes, at the moment the heartbeat and respiration stops, the physical body is dying and it's going to rapidly break down now. But the etheric energy aspects of the person are still in the process of being transformed and released. And that etheric energy body, that etheric body that takes the form of the physical body during life, and it's our emotional body, it's our psychic body, at clinical death, that etheric body becomes very mobile. And this is – so those first hours and days after death, that etheric body of the dying person can become very active and very mobile. And these are the times where we have these – Uh, encounters and psychic uh, Mm -hmm. happenings because it's, it's now free of the physical and it's a psychic environment in which it's all taking place and I really could see this in my mother's case so at that point I just began to actually give her the instruction it's okay you have died let go everything's fine just let go of everything keep your attention upwards in the center of the field of awareness, whatever arises on the left or the right, just continue to let go, allow the ascending motion of the death process. The death process is an ascending motion. Energy and attention is being lifted up out of the body into the subtler aspects of existence above the body. Just cooperate with that process. Allow it to unfold. So In my mother's case, after, you know, giving her that instruction, then I could feel the breakdown and the dissolution of her etheric body at that point. So we do the vigil, really. We we instruct people regularly, every hour on the hour. We read those instructions into their ear. And the fundamentals of the instruction is just to help people because... Right after clinical death, we're still there, as you can really see in these uh, near-death experiences. People are watching the environment. They can still see maybe the doctor's getting upset. Uh, So the dying person can become nostalgic for the life that is now passing away. So it's a good time to instruct people. You can instruct them. No, you have died. Let go. Just let go. And in fact, that's the first bit of instruction that is contained in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. The first thing you do is tell the person they have died. You're not, this is not a dream. You're not going to wake up in the body again. This is the death process. So just relax. Let go of everything. Allow the ascending motion to carry you up and through the brain and above the body and allow that process to unfold. It is a benign process. There really is no pain in the death process. The pain is in the body process. Uh, So there,
0: yeah. You don't have to physically be with the body for three days to do that um, ritual, do you? You do not. I mean, in our
1: community, people will take shifts, so nobody's there for the whole three days. Uh, but the body takes an hour's but, shift. But the, the body is not moved. moved for three days,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, but there we will have someone there doing instruction and meditating with them. This is another big part of serving the dying. You can meditate and invoke the bright, deathless, conscious condition, which is what people are trying to do when they meditate, on behalf of the person who has died. Now, there's been many deaths, and some of these deaths really happened over the last two years of COVID, where we couldn't get access to the body, or even cases where the body might be lost. Uh, but no, in that case, you can do you do the vigil because, as we're describing. We're in a psychic environment. We are now. We always are in a psychic environment. It's just that our brains are so shut and closed, most of us don't think we are. And uh, so, so if, if you don't have access to the body, and we did this many times over the last two years because of the potential for infection, we will actually then do vigils around the world where people will be taking shifts to spend time with that person, then they could be in, in any location, really.
0: Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. I mean, if the if the the spirit, the soul, is less the body, then doing those prayers and rituals, um, meditations, you're, you're no longer in time and space, in a sense, right? So it doesn't. You, you, the benefit will be there even if you don't have physical presence.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. If you can't get physical proximity, um, physical proximity is good if you can get it. And uh, uh, as as we see in a lot of these near-death experiences, people are – the last functions that tend to go is the auditory functions, that people will still be connected to the physical environment through the function of hearing because mm-hmm. the functions, the auditory functions of hearing are still in parts of the brain that have not yet died. Uh, so this is why going back to the Tibetan book of the dead and even in the way we do it in our communion community mm-hmm. is read the instructions into the ear of the deceased person mm-hmm. because they will still be connected to the environment Uh, through the auditory functions but if you don't have that opportunity then you can serve people just through the psychic reality of our existence
0: wow it's uh it's so profound a lot you're talking about a lot so profound heavy here yeah it's so profound and and it's um You know, it's conversations like this that I think we need to have, and we need to have guidance, because it's, like you said earlier in our conversation, you know, you don't really get instructions (laughs) about dying in our Western world, and that's why people are so fearful, and, you know, being fearful is a place where you can be easily manipulated, and we don't want to live in fear. It's not the frequency that brings us happiness and joy anyway. So the learning about it, and this, that's why this conversation to me is so important. You know, it's so important. And it, I just want to say, I recently interviewed a woman, Karen Johnson, and she wrote a book about um, um, dying and, um, and guilt. And um, her son had died at the age of 27, and it was the most devastating experience for her, so much so she didn't Mm. really want to live anymore. And um, Mm. and out of that, a journey began for her, and that journey led to a total transformation of this woman from being so materialistic into a, a spiritual realization and has been able to stay in touch with her son, who's on the other side. So, uh, you know, it's a journey. It has amazing facets to it, life, (laughs) the life that we're living, the journeys that we're all on. And the more we get educated, as you were saying, the more you learn, the more you do your explorations and research or listen to conversations like this, the more we gain the knowledge to help navigate through all the different stages of our life and all the different experiences that life will bring to us.
1: Yes. Yes, indeed. Well said.
0: So, Angelo, if people want to learn more about your work, uh, I, I I will first of all I want everyone to know about your website, which is uh, TB Medicine stands for Traditional Botanical dot com. You have so much great information there on the work you do with um, uh, traditional Chinese medicine and your herbal formulas and educational blog so it's a great place for people to go to get more education the name of the game is is education isn't it it's about getting educated about life and about the many facets of life so we can uh, have this wisdom so it's tbmedicine.com and what about learning more about the death and dying process are you doing any teachings there for people outside the community that you're in there
1: are, uh, there's the tvmedicine.com, my website. There is articles about the death and dying process on there also. The Tao of Rejuvenation, the book, uh, has instruction on the death process. The book Easy Death by Adi Dasam Raj, as we said, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross considered it a masterpiece. Easy Death is available on Amazon. Uh, If you want to get an education in the death process, there is a a book you must have, and that book comes with a guarantee. The guarantee is the day will come when you will need that instruction. Uh, And then people can – there are webinars. uh, The Easy Death webinars are still available online. There are two Easy Death webinars that they uh, put in uh, into Google, the Google search engine, uh, deathanddyingwisdom.org, I believe it is, or if you just search, uh, Easy Death Webinar, there are two Easy Death Webinars on there, which are one hour, uh, events of instruction that people might find useful. And, uh, yes, we will be doing more, uh, live Easy Death, uh, webinars and conferences in the future. But there are some good resources out there now, and uh, don't delay. Now's the time to start studying this matter.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, that's great. Thanks for those resources. easyjets webinars, go do a search for it. Um, Angelo Drita, thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, and uh, the wonderful work you're doing in the world. It's always such an uh, inspiration to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Live
0: long, live long, and prosper. (laughs) In this realm and others. (laughs) And then when the time
1: comes, just let go in in happiness. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: All right, Angelo. Thanks again, and um, thank you, and to everyone listening. um, Thank you for joining me on the Love Code and. We'll be back next week. And until then, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now.